Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. This is Bloomberg Intelligence. We're really getting into now the streaming arms race. This is looking at that and saying we can really build a nice niche for ourselves. In-depth research and data on 2,000 companies and 130 industries. The dollar is the dominant concept in the planet. I think the acquisition is a natural progression of what Microsoft can do with this technology going forward. Bloomberg Intelligence with Alex Steele and Paul Sweeney on Bloomberg Radio. Over the next hour, we're going to dig inside the big business stories impacting Wall Street and the global markets. Each and every week, we provide in-depth research and data on some of the 2,000 companies and 130 industries our analysts cover worldwide. And today, we're going to take a look at the impact of the supply chain shortages are having on margins and cash flows, like, everywhere. Plus, shareholders are pressing big oil to set more ambitious climate targets. But first, let's talk about Amazon. Amazon makes a boatload of money. They have a boatload of cash. What do they do with this cash? I didn't see a $50 billion buyback like Facebook did. Want to bring in a Robert Schiffman, a Bloomberg Intelligence senior credit analyst set the stage How, what does amazon's cash position look like well amazon's sitting on 90 billion of cash right now that's nice and they're going to probably generate another 20 billion this year maybe 40 next year you know the beauty of what they're doing is they're living in the real world not in the metaverse so they're generating cash and growth because they're selling stuff now they don't have to worry about virtual worlds two years from now they don't have to worry about pouring money into hope they why pour you, money into making on, money. Why you yeah, it's, on Facebook? There's no love on Facebook there. Well, listen, think about it. So Amazon is going to grow revenues this year, probably $90 billion. That's almost as much as Facebook generates in an entire year. That's just Amazon's growth. Amazon's on the way to, to making $500 billion in annual revenues. So it's, it's, not really, um, it's not really squashing others. It's really highlighting how big strong um, and financially flexible Amazon is relative to others. All right, so 90 billion in cash, but they also got 120 billion of debt on the balance sheet. Are they coming back into the market? Will they come back to the market? 
do they need it? What 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 do they even have 120 billion in debt for? Well, listen, they don't need it. Amazon's balance sheet is somewhat confusing. They <laughs> actually only have 50 billion dollars of debt. Okay. But when you add in commitments, contingencies, uh, and lease liabilities, that number rises to almost $250 billion. Ah. And the reasoning behind that is they spend a significant amount of money uh, leasing equipment for their AWS business. And what do they need money for? You know, Amazon's going to probably spend $150 billion this year in operating expenses and maybe $200 billion a year. You know, what is that for? You know, they're hiring drivers, they're mm. buying trucks, they're building procurement facilities. Um, they have uh, 1.3 million employees. You know, it costs a lot of money to run this business. So the vast majority of their money for now is going to be poured back into their own business. For a little bit that's left over, you know, they've been spending. Uh, they're in the middle of buying MGM for eight and a half billion dollars. Um, and rather than buying back stock like an Apple or a Microsoft, a Google or even a Facebook, um, you know, they can make more internally uh, than they can just buying back stock. There are other things that are out there, though. I mean, if we had to stretch the type of M&A that I, I think I would love for them to go after is say something like an ESPN. And though Disney has said ESPN is not going to be spun off or not for sale, that's the type of asset that Amazon could buy for cash without without damaging their balance sheet um, and generate future growth outside of what is their core business and, of e-commerce and AWS. And I'm guessing because of that, you wouldn't have the regulatory issue then if they tried to buy something that was specifically related to e-commerce or logistics. Well, you nailed it. I mean, th the reality is the other FANG stocks are pretty much stuck. You know, the mm. government's just not going to allow them to buy anything. That's what Mandeep was saying about Facebook, that like there's just no way for them to grow by buying. Well, and you know, what Facebook is doing is they are buying something. You know, they announced an incremental fifty billion dollars stock buyback. You know, and I think Facebook, which has zero debt out there, you know, they should go out and probably issue a hundred billion dollars of debt hmm. and raise that buyback to hundred and fifty billion dollars. You're actually again, you're seeing that from others. I mean, Apple's going to give shareholders more than a hundred billion dollars of their cash this year because the reality is they have no place to spend it, and the government's not going to let them spend it. Hmm. Amazon though stands out in a crowd, and that's why that stock I think is up eighty percent uh, in in the last year and a half and why their bonds are tighter. I mean, 10-year bonds on Amazon trade at 2%. They could borrow money if they wanted to. Um, I don't think they need it. They took down $18.5 billion earlier this year. I wouldn't be shocked to see them back in the market next year, but it's going to be more because they're going to be pouring into their business than buying back stock. I saw just in stuff that they could buy, which is a fun place to be, um, up to 82 aircraft. I mean, do they buy a FedEx, a UPS? I mean, do they... Do they need this? to? Can they just like go buy their own planes? Well, yeah, I guess. Listen, I, you know, they don't want to be an airline, but they certainly need uh, delivery mechanisms for their goods. You know, one of the simplest ways of doing that is building out larger procurement centers. You know, maybe a way to do that is you go out and actually buy a retailer that physically has the space. And then the second thing is what you do is is you you lease or buy a ton of trucks. I mean, I think it was Hertz the other day that said that they're going to go out and 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 buy a hundred thousand Teslas. I mean, maybe that's what Amazon mm -hmm, does as mm -hmm. well. It might not be Teslas, but it could be something else. So versus buying the planes, they just put their goods and services closer to where the people are, um, and they deliver it uh, more, more by, by truck or car, mm -hmm. and then eventually we're going to have drones, I think, delivering, uh, which will dramatically reduce the, the, the cost of delivery. How does the equity trade versus the debt? 
Well, they, I think they both trade like gold. I mean, the, the, the equity is up dramatically. It's a $1.7 trillion market cap. Uh, and the bonds are similar. The bonds trade pretty much as tight as anything in the uh, in the high quality tech universe. I mean, a ten year bond is forty over treasuries. It's almost the same as wow. as, as buying a government bond. You know, I, in fact, I would argue that Amazon's risk is probably lower than that of the of the U.S. government. So I'd uh, I think at at forty over, it, it, it sounds silly, but it sort of looks attractive. Thanks a lot, Rob. We really appreciate it. Uh, Rob Schiffman, a Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Credit Analyst. Coming up on the program, the UN Climate Change Conference turns up the heat on oil majors. You are listening to Bloomberg Intelligence on Bloomberg Radio, providing in-depth research and data on 2,000 companies and 130 industries. You can access Bloomberg Intelligence through BI Go on the Terminal. I'm Alex Steele. And I'm Paul Sweeney. It's 13 minutes past the hour, and this is Bloomberg. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade. Unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim Desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Intelligence with Alex Steele and Paul Sweeney on Bloomberg Radio. All right, the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, known as COP26, may see a redoubling of emissions efforts to net zero by 2050. And that's going to put some pressure on some of the big oil companies. Let's take a look at the European oil players. We do that with Will Harris, energy analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. So, Will, as you look across the spectrum of your coverage of energy companies uh, in Europe, what does COP26 mean? 
Yeah, thanks, Paul. So we, we see the primary result of COP26 being a sort of brightened emissions spotlight on these companies. Uh, this is primarily just because they have a d- disproportionate emissions profile and are likely going to face increasing pressure to accelerate these transition strategies. We've been seeing them uh, expand into renewable power, uh, into electric vehicle charging networks, uh, and along with um, increasing in, uh, investor pressure and scrutiny on, on climate um, uh, reporting issues and, and of course, uh, emissions is, is the big elephant in the room. We have an editorial meeting here at Bloomberg once a week where we talk about what kind of visuals and stuff we want for the following week. And someone was talking to me about let's have a great big graphic that shows all the oil companies and how and what year they're all going to hit their net zero targets. And I was like, I don't think you can compare it because they all measure things weirdly and differently. How are they going to say stuff? So for the, for the Europeans anyway, um, all of the majors, the big five majors, have um, an, an ambition to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. Now, um, this, is, this is going to be achieved uh, at, at different paces, of, of course. But uh, as far as the big majors are, are relatively aligned on, on how, how the emissions trajectory will look over the coming decades. Now, how they go about achieving that is, is another question. Uh, as we know, there's, there's different scopes of emissions, and the big one is scope three. This is the indirect emissions from the full value chain of their, of their products. This comprises more than 90% of these companies' emissions, and reducing this is a big challenge. It, it, can, it can occur in one of two ways. Number one is via carbon capture, so this is either organic through through uh, carbon offsets and trees, or inorganic through carbon capture and storage. The second is the big one. It's change in product mix. And this is, this is essentially what we're starting to see. These companies are beginning to very gradually adjust their strategies and portfolios to sell less oil, more gas, which is slightly less carbon intense, and eventually more electrons via renewable power. Well, many, one of the many reasons I like reading your research is you have nice little pretty pictures, and you've got a <laughs> chart in here that says, here's some of the companies that are more ambitious in their carbon emission uh, reduction uh, policies and some that are least ambitious. So Shell, the most ambitious, Exxon, the least ambitious. What differentiates the two? So I, I think the biggest differentiation really is between European majors and the American majors. Oh boy. Um, there is a very, very clear strategic disparity here on emissions between the two groups, probably the, the biggest I, uh, in, in history for, for these companies, and it's getting wider. So just on, on these issues, all of Europe's, ha- Europe's majors have committed to, to, achieve, to uh, try to achieve net zero by 2050, and Chevron and Exxon have not. We have just recently seen Chevron um, uh, commit to a, a very small reduction of 5% in their scope 3 emissions by 2028. This is, this is small, but I also think it, it signals that, that Chevron sees these issues as becoming increasingly important. We've also seen that, that the American majors are not immune from some of the investor pressures that, that we've seen in Europe. We saw um, engine number one, the activist investor, uh, uh, put some uh, directors on, on Exxon's board just this summer. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the, what we're seeing here in Europe uh, is, is definitely beginning to translate in, um, uh, in a slightly uh, more ESG-averse um, uh, market in the U.S. Okay. If you take a look at 
the energy stocks in the S&P, as we've had this amazing run in the oil price to like 85 for Brent, they have been on a crazy tear, which makes me think that investors are buying these guys. Like, forget ESG. Oil's at 85 and buying the stock. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the near term, there are very constructive macroeconomic backdrop for all of these companies. But keep in mind that these, these are some of the largest companies in the world, and they plan their strategies over multiple years, if not decades. I'm not sure I'm going to buy this. I look for the hard dollars, Will. Where are these guys spending their money? Traditional CapEx, like wells and stuff, or maybe more greener CapEx? What are you seeing? So once again, there's big disparity here between the Europeans and the Americans. For the Europeans, we're seeing about 15 to 20 percent of annual capex being de deployed into uh, green or clean tech uh, transition businesses. Uh, for the Americans, it's very small, um, almost zero. Um, but, but more generally, what we have seen as a as a function of uh, the spending pullback from the pandemic is highly disciplined capex overall. Mm -hmm. But this is also being um, complicated by rising investor demands for uh, shareholder returns. So we're seeing um, increasing uh, buyback programs. We're seeing gradual dividend recovery from those that cut their dividends uh, last year. Um, and, and so one risk that we have highlighted is, is that the, the sustainability of this scenario is, uh, is, is somewhat suspect. When you have higher demands for shareholder returns, you have lower spending, so you have less in growth. And then for the Europeans, you also have this big expansion into what has historically been lower margin businesses in, mm -hmm. in renewable power. Oh, so many questions. Um, okay, for the European guys, do you feel like, and I'm thinking particularly in Total, because they were kind of ahead of this whole thing in some ways, um, are they getting valued by their alternative? What part of their valuation is because of the shift into green energy? Do we know how the market's valuing it yet? So almost all of these companies, save for one, Equinor, has not broken out their renewable division. But mm -hmm. interest, interestingly enough, Equinor is relatively similar to Total in that it has been a very early mover on, on um, moving into uh, renewable power. And earlier this year, very early this year, Equinor sold a portion of one of their biggest wind farms for $1.4 billion. So we are beginning to see uh, some some returns. It, it's not from running the businesses yet because they're quite uh, small scale at the moment. But keep in mind that these that the growth uh, trajectories for for these divisions will be at 10x or more over the next 10 years. All right. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And keep up with those good graphics in your research. Is the really, energy the best? It is so cool. Now you guys are the cool kids now with oil and <laughs> I know. Yeah. Facebook. All right. Will Hare, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Energy Analyst. All right. Coming up in the program, shareholders are still pressing big oil to set more ambitious climate targets. We talked about what the companies are doing. Now we'll talk about what the shareholders are doing. You're listening to Bloomberg Intelligence on Bloomberg Radio, providing in-depth research and data on 2,000 companies and 130 industries. You can access Bloomberg Intelligence via BIGO on the terminal. I'm Paul Sweeney. And I'm Alex Steele. It's 25 minutes past the hour, and this is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Intelligence with Alex Steele and Paul Sweeney on Bloomberg Radio. 
be here each and every week at this time, tapping into our Bloomberg Intelligence analysts, covering some 2,000 companies and 130 industries worldwide. We just kind of gave you the lay of the land of when it comes to big oil companies ahead of COP26. So let's talk about what it means from a shareholder perspective. Here to give us that is uh, Rob DeBoff, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior ESG Analyst. So we talked about what the oil companies are doing on their end, how they're allocating their CapEx. How do shareholders feel about climate change, oil, high oil prices, and oil stocks? Yeah, so uh, you know the the last few years we've really seen uh, a lot of activism from shareholders getting involved. You know, it went from kind of um, sternly worded letters to you know withholding a couple votes, and now we've seen an outright shareholder rebellion at Exxon this year. So um, clearly, investors are taking a lot more action when it comes to uh, ESG and and climate in particular. Well, if I'm a fund manager, isn't my job just to generate highest returns for my shareholders for my fund holders? Is my mandate also social and governance and things like that? Well, it depends. I mean, we're seeing ESG becoming a, a very large um, sector of the market. So if you're going to label your fund ESG, you know, you kind of have to ba- back it up. I mean, BlackRock has been getting flack for years for, for right. again, saying, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we care about the environment, but then voting with management almost exclusively. So, um, you know, we've seen considerable pushback. You know, we saw recently with uh, Deutsche Bank's uh, asset management arm, what we call greenwashing. Um, and that's within the investment portfolio. But, you know, there's, there's a thought out there that if you're going to market yourself as an ESG fund, uh, you need to also vote those shares uh, in favor of ESG topics. So it's it, it's more obvious if you're looking at a company that like puts wind turbines in the ground or like solar panels on houses uh, or has a cool new technology that helps you take methane from, you know, cows or something. <laughs> like th- those are easier ESG looking targets. But traditional companies and sectors are more difficult. How are investors distinguishing? Yeah, so I think, you know, especially as we head now into Glasgow, um, really thinking about the net zero future um, in 2050 and the Paris Accords, you know, you've heard all these buzzwords. So um, every investor is looking at what companies can do to capitalize either um, from the opportunities, as you mentioned, the uh, these new technologies, or from a risk perspective. Um, you know, if I'm an investor in Exxon, um, and a significant amount of, of the valuation of Exxon is tied to, um, you know, the the present value of the oil reserves, uh, if if you're if you believe that you know those reserves or a substantial amount of them will be worthless by mm-hmm. 2050 because no one's going to be using oil, then you know as as an investor you are concerned about that risk, or at least you want the company preparing for that future. Mm-hmm. So we were just talking to Will Harris, Bloomberg Intelligence Energy Analyst out of London, and he had some interesting charts, and it looked like you know Chevron and Exxon, the U.S. companies, they're not doing as well as their European counterparts, and you know all this. Uh, emissions standards. Does that reflect the fact that maybe U.S. shareholders aren't as demanding as European shareholders? Uh, to an extent, I mean, certainly the you know you in in Europe you have a lot of pensioners holding the, those investments, and I think there's a lot more uh, concern about the climate crisis um, from those investors than maybe some traditional funds in the U.S. or at least in, until recently. Um, I think part of it too, uh, you know, has to do with the European business model. I mean, I I covered integrated oils for a number of years, and and the Europeans, you know, they they were very end to end. They did a lot of trading, um, where I think 
Exxon and Chevron, they really saw their value add as just you know finding oil, hmm. bringing it out of the ground. So in, in terms of producing power, yeah. So I think you know for for the uh, the Europeans see themselves more as energy companies. So it's easier to go from that uh, to saying you know energy is going to be supplied by natural gas versus solar than saying you know my whole reason for being is is drilling oil and, and selling it. Well, actually, that's such a great point with the trading business because I wonder when we're going to get like a power, a solar power, a wind power, a carbon market that can be really traded where you're going to have the likes of like Shell and BP just like ripping it in in a good way. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, uh, I think, you know, already you can see uh, Shell and and BP in the European market. They're they're very involved in, um, you know, providing solar power, whether it's, um, you know, that they've invested in uh, electric uh, vehicles, uh, charging stations. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in terms of the carbon market, Part of the trick there is is really getting a global solution. I mean, carbon is a global problem, and, and you have local markets like in the EU. You have what's called the EU ETS, um, where carbon can be traded, but that only applies within Europe. Um, so once you have more of a global market, um, and then there, you also need um, you know, certain safeguards in that market. I know in the U.S., um, you know. W- w- Things like renewable fuels. There was a lot of fraud going on, um, you know, a few years ago. So y- you need kind of those checkpoints like that. Um, you know, would would you would definitely need to see some of the um, you know, maybe commodities regulators getting more involved in order to standardize these markets, uh, and then you really can see more robust trading. I wrapped up off um, at Bloomberg Intelligence senior ESG analyst. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Coming up on the program, supply chain disruptions could make your merry holiday season more expensive. I know. You're listening to Bloomberg Intelligence on Bloomberg Radio, providing in-depth research and data on 2,000 companies and 130 industries. You can access Bloomberg Intelligence through BI Go on the Terminal. I'm Alex Steele. And I'm Paul Sweeney. It's 39 minutes past the hour, and this is Bloomberg. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, giving you even more specialized support than ever before, like access to the trade desk, our team of passionate traders ready to tackle anything from the most complex trading questions to a simple strategy gut check. Need assistance? No problem. Get 24-7 professional answers and live help and access support by phone, email, and in-platform chat. That's how Schwab is here for you, to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work passion and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. 
That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is Bloomberg Intelligence with Alex Steele and Paul Sweeney on Bloomberg Radio. All right, one of the more fascinating stories in the economy these days is the global supply chain challenges. I'll use that word challenges, but it is affecting all kinds of industries, and it is a global issue. And we're starting to hear from some of the big consumer products companies that it is an issue for them. And that's important as we go into the holiday season. Let's get some more color on that. We bring in Jody Lurie of Bloomberg Intelligence, Senior Credit Analyst. So, Jody, what are you hearing from your consumer products companies or consumer goods companies as they think about their supply chain as we go into a really busy part of the year? Sure. So, Paul, I mean, I think the the big kind of interesting dynamic that we're seeing is that the supply chain breakdown is combining with labor shortages. And the two of those together yep. is a one-two punch that's delaying some of the recovery that we've seen. In the leisure, lodging, gaming, restaurant space, it's not fully across the board. You see it much more in restaurants. You see it much more in, in the areas that are sort of your daily consumer activity type areas, which have been the quicker ones to rebound. So when you think about your Starbucks, your McDonald's, those have been quicker to rebound in this post-pandemic environment than some of the more um, travel-friendly company. And I, and I think we're, we're sort of seeing this trend across the consumer space. And so, you know, Mary and Louise, who, who I work with, are fantastic. And they, they and I, we wrote a note about this topic, and, and you're seeing it just across the board in the consumer area. Is that reflected um, in, their, in the equity or credit side of the businesses? So right now we're seeing it more so affecting the equity side, but I think it's starting to weigh on the longer-term outlook of these companies. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean is that the EBITDA expectations for 2022 are a little bit lower than what you saw in 2019. And take in mind that a lot of people have this pent-up energy, pent-up demand, and have been spending. And 2021 has been a much stronger year than we anticipated for consumer companies because of this pent-up demand. And so so what I think going into 2022, what a lot of analysts are anticipating is that these labor shortages, these supply chain breakdowns, this inflation, the big I word, is going to derail some of the effects. And, and I use the word derail sort of funny because I think a lot of the issue is the fact that you can't get the products from the port to the end consumer, mostly through trucking. So is this pressuring – I mean, you know – I guess I was told by a lot of analysts kind of you know, over the last quarter or two or three, focus on margins because if there's inflation out there, um, that's where you're going to see it. Are you seeing it to the point in your coverage that you're starting to get a little bit concerned about the credit quality uh, of your companies that you cover? So I think the issue depends on the company. And by that, I mean is that if you just look at the restaurant space, for example, where you're actually seeing the effects at multiple companies, you can actually see discrepancies between the companies that have been 
aggressive towards their digital their digital rollout, aggressive towards building up their cash flow balances. And so they're a little bit better positioned than some of their competitors. Take in point Darden, for example. It was recently upgraded by S&P and Fitch by one notch, whereas if you look at something like Brinker, who you know just recently said, hey, listen, we're going to have to up our prices that are going to our consumers. They're going to have to absorb some of this additional cost, and that's going to affect their margins. So I think it's sort of an interesting scenario because while all the companies are feeling it, all the companies are talking about it on their earnings calls, we're tracking all of it through our transcript analyzer and looking at each time companies mention the word inflation or mention the word supply chain breakdown. Even so, the ways that management teams are managing around it is different. Yeah, and that's the thing, and what we're learning, I feel like, in earnings season, too, that for the most part, a lot of these companies are able to pass the cost along because demand is just that strong. Whether you're looking at the fiscal stimulus that went down, whether you're looking at the reopening and the kind of the boom in that, um, the job market, for example, like the demand is just there, which I guess also speaks to the whole it's getting hit on the credit, uh, the equity, not on the credit, short versus long. Exactly, Alex. I mean, I think that you're, what you're now seeing is the beginning of what could be an issue. If this is something that remains for longer than a few quarters, if this basically is until demand runs out, like you're good right, if exactly. demand holds. That's exactly right. We, you know, we were riding on these coattails of consumers just wanting to spend on whatever they could spend. And, you know, case in point, the casino space, you know, they, they've only had leisure spending. They haven't had any conferences or business spending. Same thing with, with hotel companies. And so now all of a sudden, if, if individuals aren't traveling, they're not, you know, doing this revenge travel that we talked about a few <laughs> months ago, then we're going to have a scenario that could be less savory for some of these companies. What are your hmm. companies saying about 2022? From a from a demand think, t- top line perspective, <laughs> from a top line perspective, they're still mentioning that pent up demand narrative. Um, pent up demand is certainly very very prevalent, and and while I think that is true, I don't know how much longer they're going to benefit from that. I think that in 2022 you start seeing some of that pent up demand normalize, and you start see people going back to normal. That said, you would expect that things like conferences and events might start opening up again mm. as we head into, you know, second half of 22, provided there aren't any additional variants or hiccups along the way. All right, Jody, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Jody Lurie, a Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Credit Analyst. All right, let's stay on the global supply chain issue. Uh, let's do it from a European perspective here, because they've got their own set of problems in addition to what are global problems with ships at ports. Uh, let's bring in Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Consumer Products Analyst, uh, Duncan Fox. Duncan, Give us a sense. I mean, the last I kind of saw some footage, it was trucks uh, at the various ports in the UK not being able to get the gas to the gas stations. Just give us a sense as we head into this holiday season, how your European companies, consumer companies in particular, are thinking about supply chain, labor, costs, all those big picture items. It's a major issue because um, it sort of crept up on them over the summer. Uh, and it's not just the UK. I think it's it's uh, everywhere around Europe has got specific issues. Uh, and obviously, a lot of the companies that I cover also uh, are in the US. And, and certainly transport, even, even Campari today, said that the problem they've got is actually getting product from uh, wherever they're making it to, to the stores. So, um, you know, lorries actually turning up and getting where they want, particularly 
for the key Christmas period is going to be it's going to be a challenge. So, okay, obviously I don't live in the UK, but um, <laughs> my my whole goal in life in Christmas is to buy on sale. Like I'm that person that has the stuff in my Black Friday cart and Cyber Monday and the deals because like I got to get the deals. There's going to be no deals, right? Because you're going to a want me to buy it earlier, and if you want me to buy it at all, I'm going to have to pay full price. Yeah. Um, there's probably the sort of small deals probably on it depends it depends what you want it you can buy uh, i need alcohol. an american girl doll and i need a barbie dream house 2021 <laughs> uh, no idea whether you'll get deals there but you might get a deal on some alcohol uh, because retailers do it always in sort of november strangely um but yes i think uh, people are buying early um, we've had um maybe some scare stories about certain items not being around for christmas so I think people have, have gone out and, and probably cleaned the shelves in certain areas. But um, you know, that's the key thing the company's going to have to do now is actually deliver for Christmas uh, because it's it's where retailers and manufacturers probably make the, a ton of their profit, really. So delivering that's going to be key. So the companies that can do it will do quite well and will probably get price increases. There's no doubt prices are going up and it's just starting to come through now. Uh, the ones that don't, well... Um, Good luck in the pricing negotiations in 2022 because costs are going higher and, and all companies have said so. It's it's This is not a short-term issue. Yeah, Duncan, here in the U.S., as, as I know you're aware, one of the big challenges here is a labor shortage and uh, companies just can't get people to, to come work for them. What's it like in Europe, the U.K.? Is it as big an issue? Certainly in the hospitality industry, it's a very big issue and has been um, pretty much since we opened up uh, the economies from after the pandemic. Um, it doesn't look like that's going away and, and you're starting to see wages creep up now as well. So I would suspect that um, from the company's point of view, it's going to be very, very tricky to get the labour they need to make the profits uh, to keep going, frankly. Uh, even Nestle said that labour globally is, is their biggest issue, and I, th- I think it's mainly in the transport area. So getting, again, is getting products from A to B that's the issue. Um, but yeah, I think people are going to now start to pay up to get people to do the jobs. So that doesn't feel like a transitory inflation scenario. That feels like a permanent higher wage sticky thing. It does feel that way. I'm, I'm not quite sure what transitory means because I've heard different <laughs> hey, you definitions. And me, man. No one else uh, knows. One I've heard is 10 years, which to me oh. is, is catastrophic. But um, uh, so, yes, I think they're going to have to take the pain in the next year. You know, you've had Danone, Campari, Nestle all say the costs in 2022 will be higher than 2021. So we've only really just seen six months of the, of the pain and it's going to last for at least another year. And in, on soft commodities, if, if you believe the forecast, then there's another La Nina coming as well. Mm-hmm. So it does suspect that soft commodity costs could keep rising. So, yeah, companies are going to have to get used to it and work out how to push prices through sensibly. Um, now, in, in the long run, that's actually not bad news for, for, for the companies I cover because uh, benign inflation is awful. You have to get your innovation absolutely right to get any pricing at all. So it's just a transition from one to the other that's really painful. So, you know, gross margin will be under a lot of pressure uh, as we go through 2022. Um, all right, Duncan. Thanks a lot, Duncan Fox, Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Consumer Products Analyst. 
That's this week's edition of Bloomberg Intelligence on Bloomberg Radio, providing in-depth research and data on 2,000 companies and 130 industries. And remember, you can access Bloomberg Intelligence through BI Go on the terminal. I'm Alex Steele. And I'm Paul Sweeney. It's 57 minutes past the hour, and this is Bloomberg. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.